Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 103. We began the service by reading this psalm together. One of the most interesting texts in Scripture, I think, is Romans chapter 7. As you read through it, it is kind of a tongue twister, but the theme of the text is Paul is in anguish. He's something he didn't want to do. He found himself doing things he didn't want to do. He was doing things he, he wanted to do. He wasn't doing and, and he was in anguish because life just wasn't going the way he wanted it to go. Things weren't connecting the way he wanted them to connect. And he was struggling with it. And he concludes in chapter 7 of Romans, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He thanks the Lord that through Jesus Christ, all that happens here and now is temporal and is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. And so while we struggle now, the reality is God is working something far greater. And this enters then into chapter 8 in the rehearsal of God's amazing love and care and the peace that we have through Him and the fact that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And if God did not spare His own Son, how will He not freely give us of all things? But it's all centered... In the cross of Christ, Paul understood what the mercy of God was and what it meant to receive the benefits of God. And here in Psalm 103, we find a similar sequence. God has shown himself strong to the psalmist. And the psalmist breaks out in praise for God's benefits. Some believe David wrote this psalm. Others believe that it's from a post-exilic return from the exile writer. But either way, it's written as a thanksgiving to God for his wonderful benefits. Let's take a moment and read this psalm again. And then we're going to focus in on its various parts. The psalmist writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. 
But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist begins with this plea to bless the Lord with everything that is in him, to bless God's holy name. He implores himself, don't forget God's benefits. And he begins to rehearse all these benefits that God has given him. And the first one he rehearses to us is God's salvation. The core of everything that God does for us is that God did not spare his own son for us. You know, in the middle of the struggles of life, as illness comes, as financial burdens come, as relational struggles happen, as the cares of this world weigh upon us, it is easy to forget that God is good. But the reality is, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, that if God did not spare his own son, will he not freely give us of all things? It's not as though God gave us his son and then looked at this other thing that you're going through and said, well, that's a little bit too much. Oh, no, I can't go that far. So the psalmist reminds us to bless the Lord. Don't forget his benefits. And the biggest benefit is eternal glory. We're reminded that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we that will be revealed in us. And as he continues in this psalm, the psalm can be divided into three parts that challenge the reader to bless the Lord for his benefits to us today. Today, I want to focus on two of these three aspects so we can understand why we should regularly Bless the Lord this week as we enter into it. Thanksgiving has become a bit commercialized, although with the price of turkeys, maybe a little less so this year. But it always amazes me that on Thursday, we're supposed to spend time being thankful. And then Thursday night. We mob the stores for all the things we don't have. Right? Friday, we look for the deals to spend on all the things we don't have. I want to challenge you this week with Thanksgiving. And frankly, beyond this week into the rest of your life. Not to forget to bless the Lord and to look to him in any and every Circumstance. The first aspect for why we should bless the Lord are the characteristics of his benefits. What his benefits, his blessings are like. In verse 80 tells us the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
In verse 8, the psalmist begins to paint for us a vivid picture of the benefits of God toward man. And he goes about to establish beyond question why we should bless God for his benefits to us. First, he tells us the attributes of these benefits. The, the psalmist establishes by portraying the magnificent attributes of God's goodness. In verses 8 to 10, the psalmist breaks out into praise over the attributes of God. The psalmist lists five attributes that give us cause to praise him. First, the Lord is merciful and gracious. The Lord is merciful and gracious. We're blessed that God does not deal with us after our natures. That God does not deal with us according to what we actually deserve. Instead, God extends to us his mercy and his grace. It says he's merciful and gracious. Mercy is God not giving me what I deserve. I deserve wrath. I deserve anger. I deserve punishment. And yet God graciously withholds all those things. But beyond that, he's gracious and grace is giving me what I don't deserve. God loves to pour on us his benefits. Reminded in James chapter one, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and does not chide. God doesn't mock us for our need for wisdom or our need for these things, but loves to pour them out onto us. When we come to grips with the fact that we need mercy and grace, we can't help but bless the Lord. It's referring to the statement of God when he revealed his glory to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6. Moses had asked God, Lord, God, let me see you. God said, no one can see me and live, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in this cave and I'll cover the cave and walk by and you'll be able to see the fading remnants of my glory after I pass. And Exodus 34 tells us that as Moses is in that cave and as God covers in and walks by, there's this cry, the Lord merciful and gracious. You know, of all the religions, Christianity, the worship of the one true God is the one based on mercy and grace. The one that is based on the reality that we can't get to God. You can't work your way there. But God comes to you. God sent his son to die for you. So that you could be his child. So that you could be cared for. We're reminded in Matthew chapter 6. As people are concerned about all that is going on and Christ is there on the mount teaching them and he begins to teach them some lessons and he points to the birds in the air. You see the flock of birds as they fly over and he says, behold, the birds of the air. They they're the least of all the animals. And yet God knows when one falls. And if God knows that, don't you think he knows what's going on with you? He says, look at the flowers. You can picture the hillside covered with wildflowers. 
says they don't work, they don't spin, and yet God clothes them in amazing beauty. God does that for flowers that every year come up and then die and come up and then die. Don't you think he'll care for you? So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. How can we be confident of this? Because God is merciful and gracious. You serve a God that cares deeply and intimately for you. Whether you feel it or not. And so it's important in the time of struggle, in the time of loss, and in the time of blessing to speak the truth to yourself. And declare, behold your God, merciful and gracious. We see second that God is slow to anger. God does not lose his temper. He's always in control and he's long-suffering towards us. Think about how wonderful that is. We all, even the best of us, struggle with becoming frustrated and losing our temper. That same thing happens over and over and over and over until finally the dam breaks and our emotions spill forth. But God's not like that. God is slow to anger. We read through the Old Testament, God's people. We see them brought out of Egypt through amazing miracles. I was reminded of that this week, reading about uh, what's going on in Egypt right now. There's some floods happening and there are these scorpions that are coming out and actually stinging people. They've had about 500 people that have had to uh, receive anti-venom because of these scorpions. And what caught my attention was the headline of the article said, plagues hit Egypt. And it, it made me chuckle because even the newspaper recognizes there's something to that statement, right? Israel was led out of Egypt because of these amazing, miraculous works of God. The ten plagues. And then they get to the Red Sea and they're trapped. And they're crying out, it had been better for us to be home. And God says, watch me work. You could picture it being like being by Lake Michigan and needing to get to Wisconsin. I don't know why you'd want to get there. But maybe you need to get to Wisconsin. And... And all of a sudden, someone raises their hand with a stick and the water parts. And you're able to walk through the lake bed of Lake Michigan across. That's what happened to the Red Sea. Israel walked across. And yet over and over, what does Israel do? It would have been better if we had been in Egypt. God, why would you bring us here? Oh, and they keep complaining. Then they get into the promised land and God gives them the land. And what do they do? They keep turning to idols over and over and over and over. And, and if you're like me, you read it. And you think, what is wrong with these people? I mean, how can they forget what God has done? I'm reminded how slow God is to anger. Put yourself in God's shoes. And it's a good thing we're not God. Right? They get to the Red Sea and they say, oh, we couldn't do this. And you know, I'd be like, part the Red Sea, let them get halfway across and go, yeah, watch what I had. You know, never mind. 
And yet God, for hundreds and hundreds of years, was gracious and merciful and slow to anger against Israel. But if we're honest and we read through the Old Testament and what Israel does, we're reading a biography of us. We do the same thing. It's one reason why I do enjoy this service like we have today, where we rehearse God's blessings, because it forces us to stop and think, what has God done for me? And maybe you had to struggle a little bit to think about it. Hmm. What did God do for me this year? That's a sad thing if that's the case. Because God is incredibly gracious. And one of these manifestations is that he is slow to anger. God could deal with us quickly. But instead, he chooses to pause. To give opportunity for repentance. To demonstrate grace and mercy yet again. Third, we see that he is plenteous in mercy. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse number 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Once again, we see that God is merciful, gracious, and doesn't keep his anger forever. He's rich and overflowing in mercy towards us. Not, not holding on to his anger, but quick to let it go. Place it under the blood of Christ so that when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lastly, we see that he does not deal with us according to our sin or reward us according to our iniquities. Uh, Spurgeon stated it well when he said, else had Israel perished outright and we also had long ago been consigned to the lowest hell. God has incredible mercy towards us and does not deal with us according to what we do intentionally or unintentionally. God gives to us pardon and then gives to us a further hope. He shows us patience and then demonstrates it to us over and over and over. But not dealing with us in how we deserve. How many times have you felt this way where you come to God? God, here again. I did that thing again. Forgive me, please. And God doesn't say, this is the hundredth time you have been here asking forgiveness for this. Rather, God is faithful and right to forgive it. How often do we feel as though we have done too much for God to forgive? I've just, I've struggled with it for too long. But God does not keep his anger forever. Although he will chasten his children when we repent, he lovingly welcomes us back into his open arms. This is the picture of the prodigal son. We know well that parable, but perhaps we've forgotten the message of it. 
Here's the son who demands his father's inheritance before his father is dead. In essence, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And his dad gives him his inheritance and he blows it on selfish living. Till finally one day as he is sitting in the dirt, he says, boy, the slaves have a better life than I do. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to ask to be his slave. Unbeknownst to him, his father is watching for him every day, waiting for him to return. And he sees his son in the distance and he runs to meet him and puts his arms around him and kisses him and blesses him and says, my son, I'm so glad you're home. The son lays out his rehearsed speech. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've done so much wrong. And his dad says, nonsense. You're my child. He kills the fatted calf and he sets a feast out because his son who was lost has been found. And that's what God does for us. Often we act like the older brother. Why is, why is the father forgiving them? Well, I've been here the whole time. And God says, no, get your attitude right. I want you to. The reality is God does not hold his anger forever. He shows his patience and demonstrates it over and over by not dealing with us after what we deserve. Seeing all that, how can we fail to bless the Lord for his benefits to us? God's praise should be ever on our lips. See, secondly, in verses 11 through 13, the expanse of his benefits. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. (coughs) Excuse me. The psalmist gives three examples to demonstrate how amazing God's love is for you. He says, as high as the heaven is above the earth, that's how great God's love is for you. Now, here's the question. How high do you have to go before you quit being in heaven? Right? And we understand this even more now with modern technology where we can see so far into the expanses of space and know you just keep going. Where's the end? Who knows? That's how great God's love is for you. As far as the east is from the west. How far do you have to walk east before you start walking west? We understand the earth is a globe. You just keep walking and walking and walking east. They don't meet. And the point of it is with these two illustrations is that God's grace and mercy to us is immeasurable. That's how much God cares for you. So as you look up at the night sky, be reminded of this immeasurable distance of God's mercy. Something we could never live without and we can never outlive. As high as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God took our sins and removed them from us. This is why when we come back to God, God, I'm here again. Well, last time I took that sin, I threw it as far as the east is from the west. He says, your sins, and your iniquities, I will remember no more. You know, we struggle with forgiveness. We like to bring things back up, particularly when it's beneficial to us. 
right? That, uh, that argument comes up yet again. And we've been holding on to that wrong. Yeah, you, you're getting on me for not having dinner ready. Yeah, how about you put your clothes in the, in the, in the hamper? No, we talked about that. I thought you forgave me for that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Right? We like to bring things back up. But God takes it and throws it as far as the east is from the west. That is God's forgiveness. The last example the psalmist uses is the example of the father and his children. As a father pities his children, so God pities those who fears him, though he has compassion on them. The reality is God loves you as his child. And it's an incredible picture of love. Because as the statement goes, even the parents of mass murderers love their children. God loves you. Let me say that again. God loves you. What an incredible benefit that you can come to God as your father and he loves you. We've seen the characteristics of God's benefit. Let's turn now to the second aspect I want to look at, and that's the cause of his benefits. Verses 14 to 19. Why does God give us his benefits? Why does God do this? Why does he show us grace and mercy and patience and favor? Why does God have compassion on us? Well, the psalmist closes out this last stanza of this psalm with the cause of all this. And he gives two causes. First, he describes man. He says in verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. <clears throat> God the creator remembers the way he formed man. He knows we're dirt. Remember Genesis 2-7. God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul because of death because of sin genesis 3:19 tells us that from dust we came and to dust we will return we're just dirt and the psalmist illustrates the brevity of man's life through the flower and the grass. We're coming to the end of the time for grass and flowers to be alive. One thing I tease my wife about, she loves fall and the cold. And I say, oh, you love death, huh? Time when everything dies. Right? This is when it all dies. And we're reminded. It goes away. And we're like that. Life is fleeting. James talks about it, says life is like a vapor. It appears and then it vanishes away. We're just a speck, a blot on this timeline. We like to think we're great and that's why we struggle often. But when we begin to really look at it, we recognize yeah, there's not much. It's here and then it's gone. 
Man is but dust. It'd be interesting to think about how many of you know your great-grandparents' name? How about your great-great-grandparents' name? How about your great-great-great-grandparents' name? And some, I'm sure, have done some sort of genealogy studies and maybe know that, but I would wager that the vast majority of us don't know them. Just a few generations removed from us. People that, that of all the people in the world that should know who they are, their name, it would be us, and we don't even know. And then we put that out into the future. We like to think our great, great, great grandkids will know our name. But they won't. We're but dust. We're but nothing. No sooner do we come to fruition and we're gone. And through this, the everlasting mercy of God is demonstrated. Man, though so feeble and frail, does not wholly pass away. But instead, God preserves his children for all eternity. God will always know your name. We see this description of God in verses 17 through 19. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Man on one end of the spectrum is frail and corrupt and passes away, but God on the other end is forever. His throne is standing forever. God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. His love is always on us. God's benefits are beyond the spectrum of time. He stands transcendent over everything that happens. He's not affected by it. You know, we see cases rising in Michigan. We've felt it in our own body this week. And yet we're reminded that God is unaffected by it. He stands outside of time. And his love is unassailing. It will continue forever and ever. And his righteousness goes beyond his people to their children and their children's children. God loves to pour his gracious benefits and his righteousness out on us. We get frustrated with people. We get frustrated with ourselves. And God continues to pour out blessing. God continues to pour out his benefits. God continues to care. And while the world around us falls apart... We're reminded that God's kingdom is secure. It says his throne is established in heaven. You know, presidents come and go. Rulers come and go. Countries come and go. But the king of kings remains on his throne. Lives come. Lives fail. Time passes. But God's throne remains. And that's incredibly encouraging because it means one day we will all be gathered before that throne. And it will matter. It'll all be worth it. 
We can't help but respond to thanksgiving to God when we recognize these incredible benefits that God has granted to us. That in spite of everything that goes on around us, God loves and cares. He is ever gracious and ever merciful. And so we're reminded, as the old hymn says, oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. But Christ will soon appear to snatch his bride away, all tears forever over, in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. This week, as you celebrate Thanksgiving, as you work through what God has done for you, it might be easy to question what you have to be thankful for. It might be easy to bemoan all that has happened in this world and in your life. But let me remind you that in every circumstance, in every trial, in every hardship, and in every blessing, God is always good. So, bless the Lord, O you His angels. You mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word, bless the Lord, all His hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of being called your children. We thank you that you have not left us to wonder and worry about this world, but rather you have given us everything that we need for righteousness and godliness and joy. Lord, I do ask in the midst of the struggles that so many in our body are facing, that you would show yourself real and strong to them, that they would see you for who you are, a strong tower and an ever-present time, a help in time of trouble. Lord, we ask that we would make you look as good as you really are. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.